0: Look who's back. Everyone pretend to be excited. Yay. <laughs> John, have you, have you poured th- over the stats of our last episode? Yes. Where our father guest Gangbusters. Starred? Gangbusters, Greg. It did gangbusters. Downloads this, galore. This, this was the word on the street. Uh, you and I are more polished podcast hosts. On the other hand, people like our father, whereas they don't like us. So... <laughs> Well, he's just less insecure than we are. You know, we're too busy like trying to figure out the right words and trying to, you know, sound erudite and smart. He's just like, Yeah, this is my opinion and that's all that matters. Exactly. He's got the confidence of a boomer and that's what that's what matters. <laughs> that's what we need. We need that boomer confidence. <laughs> yes. Nothing can go wrong. Exactly. But John, I want to give you a whole field report of oh, my trip to Central Asia. Again. Um, uh, no, oh. not again. Obviously I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't pour through I wouldn't there we go again, <laughs> struggling over our words i wouldn't I wouldn't have you endure a, a whole synopsis of my trip again however there there is one subject I wanted to bring up this is nominally a podcast about the media that we absorb mm-hmm. And so I wanted to give you a little experience of the media that I absorbed, uh, both in Russia and Central Asia. Okay. Uh, first, there's it's too called, much. It's Russian- called RT, <laughs> and yes. it's all—it's the only news source you need. <laughs> yeah, that was not part of my media diet over there. However, what was was just a, a absolute deluge of pop music. There is simply too much Russian <laughs> pop music. The center cannot hold. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) There's an overabundance. I I sat in many an airport lounge and a restaurant just watching a parade of nearly identical pop performers just in an infinite horizon of music videos and stage shows of showing showing crowds go mild. Just obviously... (laughs) (laughs) Bored with the whole enterprise, and I'm convinced that you and I could be Russian pop stars, assuming they just put us in a tracksuit, and we can smile (laughs) while uh, lip-syncing. Okay. Uh, (laughs) What what was the context of this? What was this? Again, I told you, this is what I absorbed sitting at dinners and in airport lounges in Russia, basically uh, taking So these are music videos? Uh, A lot of them are music videos, yes, on a loop. Or are they live concerts? Because you made it sound like people were just... Well, really, they're both. Okay, there, there. I believe there are channels devoted to both exclusively music videos and exclusively live performances. Okay, that's that's fine. But you were like, you were you were expressing the fact that there was very little interest in all this, as if everyone listens to pop music constantly. Like, yes, this is giving me life right <laughs> well, you now. Think if they devoted it to television, <laughs> that yeah, they I, would show I a suppose, little more interest. I suppose. Maybe again, because like they still haven't recovered from the Cold War era. Like music videos are still kind of hot for them, still kind of oh, trendy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's fair, yeah. They're still getting over Brutalist architecture. <laughs> <laughs> or they're getting over their, you know, Eastern European cartoons like Daz Factor Off or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are fun. Yes. yes, Worker and Parasite is my personal favorite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the other thing I absorbed was that Kiergek TV... You know, pretty pretty amusing. Until they have the slight veer into racism. Oh boy. There was there was a show nominally. I mean set. you're the one who said that all these pop stars look the same to you, so who's the real racist? <laughs> Fair point, fair point. But there was a TV show. It looked like a, a, a dramedy set inside an apartment complex wherein, I don't know, the kids are creating mischief. Two people look like doomsday preppers. And even though I couldn't understand, even though the sound wasn't on, you could kind of understand the, the comedic hijinks going on. That was until mm-hmm. an apparition appears uh, wearing shoe polish, bright red lipstick, and having her hair done oh, like no. a Suzanne in Orange is the New Black. <laughs> oh, and I no. thought, yo, Kyrgyz TV, you're cancer. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, Univision was on a, a TV at a bar the other night, and there was mm-hmm. a very uh, disrespectful representation of Native Americans. So, y- you know, M- America obviously gets a lot of flacking, but I mean, gotta give us some credit, right? Like, the rest of the world is clearly yeah. not caught up on our PC wokeness. I mean, America's the ultimate virtue signaler when you think about it. Absolutely. And in some of my experience with Russians, mm-hmm. many people think their manipulation of the election had exclusively to do with their power and influence over the world. No, I think they do share Donald Trump's virulent racism. <laughs> oh, you think that? I mean, it was the government, Greg, that was, that was influencing the, the, I, the election, know, not like the average the Russian as, citizen. I think the people are as supportive. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, of course, because they're getting fed all this propaganda, Greg. They're blinded, just like the average Trump supporter. If we just reach across the aisle, yes, if we just give them, if we just give them the things that they want, (laughs) then. (laughs) Greg, I have a two-day report coming up. Me, embedded in the Trump community, the Trump-supporting community. Okay, I wrote it for the New York Times, and if they don't want it, then I'll take it to the Post. But you know, I think it's important that we go to these these people, these I mean, quote unquote people who voted for Trump, and try to understand them. Like you went to the, You went to the white working class enclave of Eagles Landing, Ohio. Yes. <laughs> median household income, two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, and we, see why they vote Republican? Why is that? We have to talk to these people before they inevitably OD on fentanyl. Okay, yeah. they, they're they're go, they're going extinct, and we need to preserve their way of life. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because there will be a. I will filed a book report on all the movies I watched on my oh flight, dear. and you you mentioning fentanyl just triggered um, something in me, uh, <laughs> that uh, just this fire and fury that I have for a, one of the five films that I watched. So oh you've dear. got to look forward to about 40 minutes. Oh from now. dear, <laughs> Julia Roberts, look out! You're on blast. <laughs> yes, I know exactly what movie you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but maybe we should probably get to the movie we decided to talk, to watch this week. Yes, this is a movie podcast about watching for the very first time a movie that now belongs in in filmic history, that is now regarded as a classic. We watch it for the very first, we expose ourselves to it for the very first time and decide if it's worthy of that classic status. And this week, because Greg was, you know, so jet lagged, I decided to give him, cut him some slack, and I, (laughs) I put on the schedule a very short movie. So, clocking in at a brilliantly paced seventy-three minutes, we have Harold Lloyd's Safety Last. Safety should come first. <laughs> this is the Th- this standard. is what this is what matters. All right, John, lives matter. Okay, you you can't just say safety last. You can't do that. This movie. Where's is- my fainting couch? Oh, t- t- <laughs> this movie is wholly irresponsible, encouraging safety last. Like what? Yeah. I mean, the the culture cannot stand another virulent attack like this. No. Think of the children. <laughs> think think of me, John. I'm jet lagged, and you gave me a silent film to watch. <laughs> Look, if the movie is good enough, then you'll be able to stay awake through it, regardless of how tired you are. So w- uh, this will be this will be the ultimate litmus test. With the, with the exclusion of maybe silent movies. No. They don't... Uh, with, the, with the lack of color and proper dialogue does really kind of put you in this... What about the state. tunes? I love the music. Du-duh, okay. du-duh, 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 du-duh. It's all How do you know time. it was wholly original, John? How do you know it was designed for this piece? Because uh, th- it's on the Criterion Collection, so obviously whenever they do the... Uh, their restorations they always pick the most appropriate score the appropriate music that should have played right i suppose so mm-hmm. I, although i want to make the distinction that it's available in the criterion collection because this year safety last the comedy classic one of the most including having one of the most iconic images in all of cinema history is now in the public domain so mm-hmm. we could have watched it anywhere really <laughs> and i'm kind of glad i watched it because for the longest time i thought this was a buster keaton film and so this is a nice <laughs> gateway into helping me distinguish. Charlie Chaplin, it's very easy to tell what his films are. But Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd, they, there's a bit of an overlap there. and I, I, you, I hope you think so? Oh, absolutely. First of all, how dare you? All right. Buster I mean, Keaton. Yeah. All right. Th- th- there are three basic titans of silent cinema. Mm. Obviously, the first and most well-known is probably Charlie Chaplin with his distinctive tramp look and mm. character. Exactly. The second would be Buster Keaton, both for his prolificness and also the deadpan look with which he went through all these wacky hijinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third, I won't say among equals because his film history, because his filmography was hidden from public view for a long time, the rights, you know, to change hands and all this stuff, is Harold Lloyd. And this is considered his masterpiece, Safety Last. Mm-hmm. And I think to the film's credit, it does follow along with the qualities of the tramp, which is telling in the 1920s a distinctively lower middle-class story it's about a guy who moves away from a small town to a big city uh for his love promising i'll make it rich and then we can get married and buy a house and start a family exactly i mean given the time period we're still very much in what is kind of considered the gilded age so obviously stories about class struggle obviously resonated with a lot of people but also i think it's just uh, this is a very primitive time let's be honest and there's the simplest form of comedy is just simple um disrespect of social expectations i guess is the word i'm yeah. kind of looking for so the idea is that you have this low status character you know making a buffoon of himself in a high status situation uh, in this case he is a, working at a department store he lies to his bride to be saying that you know he's obviously a bigwig even though he's you know working the floor as a as a lowly dreg. <laughs> and he's trying to impress his boss Mr. Stokes who is yeah. just a complete you know his oh, is thumbing his nose down at, at poor Harold poor Harold sure i mean he always stays as a kind of nominally striving character which we identify with mm-hmm. i will give him credit in that he's not aloof like either Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin are. Uh, the tramp is also characterized by this like kind of optimistic nature. Uh, Buster Keaton's characters are, are kind of fined by either a deadpan look or complete obliviousness. Obviously there's that famous shot in the hurricane when the house he, falls on him and it clears him by the window. Exactly. Yeah. Here... Uh, I think Harold Lloyd portrays a much more, like, personable character. There's something about his face that's actually distinctively human. Like, even (laughs) though he's probably wearing, like, 8,000 pounds of makeup, like, there's still something distinctively human about all his expressions. Um, And I do love... uh, Immediately, I was drawn in by uh, the thematic resonance of uh, getting into the... Basic con that is filmmaking <laughs> because the, the first sight gag is this opening shot where it looks like our main character is behind bars and there's this gal and there's this gallows behind him mm-hmm. and a man looking like a priest coming up behind him and the music is very maudlin and it looks like uh, a man is about to be put to death. Uh, two women, one behind the cage. The camera pulls out and he's actually at a train station about to leave. <laughs> and that shows that you know it's a obviously the gag is that it subverts your what you expected tonally of the of the movie earlier. But throughout the rest of the movie, yeah, it's all about obfuscation and conning your way through through a situation. <laughs> yeah, and that, but that also, I think, kind of makes him a little bit more unlikable. Obviously, in very tramp-like fashion, he finds himself in these weird scenarios. Like for instance, uh, he stops and sits on the back of a tr- of a truck. It's a towel yeah. truck, and before you know it, he's stuck inside, and then they drive him like 10 miles away, and he needs to get back to work in like 10 minutes, and so you have all these kind of wacky misadventures as he tries to get back to work. And honestly, I I don't think the rest of the... It's, it, in classic Tramp fashion, the movie is more of a collection of small little vignettes. Like, it takes yeah. us more, to, uh, more than half of the runtime to get to the main crux of the plot, which is in order to get the money he needs to marry this woman, he needs to come up with a good stunt, like a good idea that's gonna draw business to the department store. And when she you know it, his friend is able to climb you know buildings like in a single bound. He's yeah. a real- life spider-man. So yeah. he's like, oh well, you know my friend can climb the building. I'll tell everybody, you know for a thousand dollars this man will climb this building. you'll draw huge crowds and everyone will come by And then through obviously plot machinations, Harold Lloyd ends up being the one who has to climb the building himself. would have used rock climber alex Hunold as a, as the analogy instead of spider-man but um, no, no. anyway no, that's sp- either here or not there. the kids love spider-man have you heard about this the spider-man true. greg the hey. kids do indeed love <laughs> 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 but that's also my other major complaint getting to that big set piece because part of what makes harold Lo- or not harold Lloyd's part of what makes buster keaton's movie so amazing is the fact that he did it as all stunt work and again, knowing that this is a movie from the silent era, the nineteen twenties, there was no safety net. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, are you gonna are you gonna knock it for that? The the fact that I was hoping for a little bit more danger. I'll be honest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was hoping that there was, because, like, again, the comedy leans into the social situations. The fact yeah. that his boss is about to catch him, and then he hides, and then mm-hmm. the thing he's hiding behind moves away, and he looks like a fool. Like, it's yeah. that kind of very easy setup, and I was hoping for more of the kind of physical, you know, amazing feats of daring that Buster Keaton would get away with, but we don't really get that until the clock tower scene. Yes, it doesn't, it doesn't rely on psych eggs, which I actually appreciated. I've, the comedy more comes from you're right the social situations and I was surprised by the amount of comedy that comes from the title cards mm-hmm. because there are a lot of jokes within those like for, for instance uh, they say uh, on a certain day of the week like uh, the boy who's uh, Harry Lloyd's character like expresses love for love for his uh, his intended mm-hmm. those those days of the weeks are Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and Saturday, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Saturday and Sunday yeah. <laughs> So there's or a little... like or like another gag where he's serving a lady. He he has to pull out literally every sample off the shelf for this lady, and then the title card reveals like I like the first one the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I appreciate that. I wasn't so it's it's it seems like it didn't meet your expectations of what you want <laughs> out of a silent comedy, which is like the daring do and the ridiculous sight gags that also like kind of amaze you in terms of like the amount of danger and let's say limber limber qualities that the, that the characters go through i don't think harry lloyd was spe- specifically known for that mm-hmm. because he didn't come up as a comic performer he kind of uh, worked his way up to that status whereas like buster keaton and and charlie chaplin were coronated with that title as soon as they hit the stage mm-hmm, that's true and i think the also the thing that's maybe lacking is just a certain level of i don't want to call it imagination but like what what I feel like Charlie Chaplin would do is he would come up with a gag first and then like, all right, let's concoct the story kind of around that. So you end up yeah. with, you know, City Lights. He has to, he gets stuck into a boxing match. Why? Well, who cares? The boxing match is funny. <laughs> like, as, yeah. he, as opposed to here, we're stuck in this department store for a majority of the runtime, And I just don't think that there's enough freedom or... Again, logically for the story, it makes sense. But if you're trying to, you know, get guffaws endlessly... Then you know, feel free to kind of act a little looser with the with the context, you know. Yeah, that's that's one fair thing. This is not a guffaw-filled comedy, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it strives to be that, there's much more scenes devoted to context. Like for instance, when his girlfriend does come into the big city to surprise him with a visit, mm-hmm. like there there is a long stretch where he has to set up all these basic rules that he's the general manager of the store. Mm-hmm so you, so th- that's not exactly gut busting nor is the final set piece with which uh, he he's required to climb 12 story building right. uh, the, the the comedy comes from like the the fact that they set up this cop who won't permit uh, his friend whose name is like limpy or something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> to actually climb the building and says like oh I'll meet you on the second floor uh, circumstances arise oh I have to meet you on the third floor and it's, yeah. up and up it goes until so that's not exactly gut busting nor is the you're right. I think like the knowing what we know now that, you know, Harry Lloyd didn't perform all of his stunts, it in spite of the camera actually being mounted on this 12-story tower, they did have to rely on some camera trickery to make some of the, some of the shots look st- steeper or have busy traffic underneath them. Mm-hmm. Granted we know all that. However, I was more I was more unimpressed by the <laughs> fact that I that I don't know, I didn't really feel the danger at all because it still feels like the the technology for the time couldn't really portray that he's on the side of a 12-story building. Um, it it felt like rear projection for that famous shot in which he's hanging from the from the clock. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. There is that kind of moment where he finally does get to the top and mm-hmm. he trips and a rope catches him and he swings back and forth. That looked pretty impressive. But yeah, it's kind of weird that the clock, him dangling from the clock, is kind of the main image that it sticks in everyone's minds when they think about this movie. Like, cause. It, it's, well, because I think it's like, it's the point he's trying to reach, so they do establish it as that as that final that that climactic. That's the final point. push. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I uh, the rear projection thing didn't bother me so much. Again, it was just mm-hmm. kind of. You're right, though. There is that lack of you know, like Buster Keaton no matter what was going on on screen, it's like, you could have died, dude. <laughs> and yeah, I never really felt like Harold Lloyd was in any mortal danger. Um, is it kind of unfair to judge the movies on those merits? I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> I mean, I love uh, Jackie Chan movies for this very reason, knowing okay. that this this is a labor of love and this could have been his last for all we know <laughs> Exactly. So if if we're judging it by the standards of a of a typical Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin movie, I'd say it's not as funny as a Charlie Chaplin movie mm-hmm. nor is it as, you know, uh like terrifying as a Buster Keaton movie with <laughs> with the stunts that he's going through. However, I think it's still as a total package between the gags that are there, the story that they establish with this romance and this, uh, him concocting the scheme to appear more successful as he is, culminating in this final, uh, brave stunt, uh, sending, uh, 12 stories without a rope. Mm-hmm. I still, I still think it works whether, and probably is worthy of, and obviously does have this cultural cachet with which all these movies from Back to the Future and, and I could name dozens of others in which like a characters do hang from clocks. And so <laughs> it does create this, it does have an iconic moment that's cemented itself in the imaginations of film goers worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> so for that, I do think it is worthy of preserving and watching at least once. Oh yeah. I mean, Again, and it's a silent movie, and silent movies, I feel like, inherently just have this certain charm to them. It's like, eh, they don't, they literally don't make them like this anymore. <laughs> so, and there were times, especially in the first act, I was kind of swept up in the fact that I'm enjoying watching a silent movie. But yeah, uh, I think if, if you had to start or you wanted to express any interest in the genre, I don't know if I would start here, but yes, I definitely would say it's probably a required viewing. Okay, well, what would you start with, Sean? Huh? I would probably start with City Lights. I really, really like City Lights. Uh, no, it's it, it. That's the end of an era. That's what? the one where they're trying. Oh. They're trying to incorporate sound into a silent movie. Ah, but I think that's why it's so good. Is because they've learned so much. It's the pinnacle. It's the peak. No, it's a, a pinnacle, peak. <laughs> they've learned so much. No, it's it's a it's a dying dame desperately trying to cling to her sexuality. Oh, and her how fame. dare you! <laughs> It's Gloria Swanson desperately trying to cling to her fame. Hey, uh, Silo- yeah, yeah, S- and Sunset I love Boulevard. that movie. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard's amazing for that very reason. <laughs> okay, bad analogy. <laughs> I made the silent arrow sound better, sound better than it is. So. <laughs> no, they should start with the artist. Remember the artist, guys? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind the artist. It's, it's a fine film. Hey, Again, charm. Like char- you, you can coast a lot on charm, let me tell you. Look at me. <laughs> I got a head in life because I got charm. <laughs> <laughs> so did you find Harold Lloyd charming? I mean, do you want to seek out more of his filmography now that it's readily available? Uh, I suppose again, like I do think he is third tier compared to Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, but if we had to, you know, again, if he's still third build, he's still, you know, quite good. So yeah. I do think you have you you kind of put the nail on the head. Facially, I think he's got the the charm and the look more than any of the other ones. Like yes, maybe they were kind of more uh experience in the whole mime aspect, but I think that Harold Lloyd is the best, probably, overall actor of the three. Yeah. Of the big three. Yeah, because, and I should give a little more context here, he didn't didn't come up through vaudeville Mm -hmm. the way that Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin did. Mm -hmm. So he kind of worked his way up to being a silent comedy star, and you could see that kind of regular theatrical acting experience Mm -hmm. rather than the mugging or the the physicality that goes with it. it. Makes me wonder, did he have... The kind of more interesting or overall better career than everybody else was he able to transition into the the sound era any better or no? Uh, technically he did, and everybody's that th- everybody's quick to pull up this statistic um, in that technically he outgrossed Charlie Chaplin's movies throughout the twenties. Oh, interesting. Uh, this being because this could be because Charlie Chaplin only made four movies throughout the twenties. <laughs> Whereas Harold Lloyd made ten million shorts? Yeah, it's probably made ten million shorts. and And obviously, the market is the best decider of quality. I mean, <laughs> McDonald's does make the world's best hamburger, so <laughs> <laughs> So yes, he did, like Charlie Chaplin did have some some, I won't say triumphs, but a a smooth transition into the talkie era. And just had a fascinating family following that. Uh, look up the Wikipedia page for Harry Lloyd Jr. No. It's uh, quite a character. <laughs> okay. Drugs. Is it drugs? Is it sex addiction? Uh, it's I drugs, know. it's sexuality, it's a lot of different things. <laughs> oh boy. It's being a fail son, which is always which is always a charming story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's, that's that's a true american tale right there <laughs> interesting well it's yeah. funny i'm looking up his imdb page so his last acting credit was in 1947 Harold lloyd died in 71 so maybe his career didn't really take off I, his, <laughs> he retired john come on for 30 years you don't yes. retire for 30 years in hollywood baby how many how many movies did charlie chaplin have between 47 and oh, 71 you're gonna t- quiz me is this a quiz yes <laughs> No, I'm I'm gonna quiz you. I'm gonna ask you rhetorically because I know it's not as not that many. So you know who made a cameo in Sunset Boulevard though? Mr. Buster Keaton. Bam. <laughs> ha. Gotcha. Sunset Boulevard. He did? Great movie. Love it. Yeah. One of oh, my faves. Oh, of course I adore it. But where did he make a cameo? This what? is the first I've heard of this. Oh, he's in the he's a, he's one of the card players. Remember, ah. she, and that's the in joke is the fact that it's all these old people, uh, all these old actors. Who were like famous for silent movies just like her oh I see yeah hmm. at least I think that's him Isn't that Billy Wilder yes he's clever he's clever I know he knows, he knows a thing or two about movie making It turns <laughs> out <laughs> I think I'm right about that don't quote me on that but yes yeah, no, so okay. the, there's a there's a card scene and the joke is that all those other actors are famous for being in silent movies. Okay. Anyway, happy 4th. Uh, hope you enjoy. <laughs> safety last. Alright, goodbye everybody. <laughs> no, Greg, no. We can't end now. We can't end now. Of we course have not. We have more. Yes, yeah. because every episode we end with our signature sultry section that we call Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Mm-hmm. Correct, John. Mm. And I'm, get- I'm getting in a mood. Um... <laughs> I'm ready to report in the five movies I've watched on my flights between uh, here in Los Angeles and Central Asia. Well, should I go first then? Because Yeah, you yeah, have, you you, yeah and, so, and I have a short one. Uh, again, I mean, I have Spotify now, so I've been getting back into music. Guys, if you heard mm-hmm. about this music? It's great. <laughs> I thought podcasts were the only things you could listen to. Turns out you can listen to music, too. Okay. I'm skeptical. I've, I've heard some of this uh, popular music <laughs> lately, and I'm not a fan, let me tell you. <laughs> Little Oz... Ne- Little. Nas X, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you kids something about the original Nas. All right, <laughs> uh, they actually—how do you get away with that? Like they have to be That's related. Exa- right? I don't know. I couldn't. am I, I, I was offended when I first heard his name. Yeah, imagine—imagine imagine me, a, a simple yeah. cracker, like popping up and like I'm new Tupac, like the gall. <laughs> The pure gall. Well, I I, I wouldn't go that, John. There, I mean, there he has obviously some... more cred than I do, but <laughs> yeah, I'd say there are far more things wrong with you calling yourself Tupac than a, <laughs> a fellow competent and commercially successful rapper. But by the way, my rapper. He name... did not, John. He did not come out the straight dungeons of raps where fake N words don't make it back. Okay? Oh, dang. <laughs> and Greg would know. <laughs> yes, I I do know, right? Because I'm a, I'm an illmatic stan. I'm stillmatic, as it were. <laughs> You completely derailed my spotlight, but it's fine. I did. I apologize. (laughs) It's fine. We do it for the the lulz. We do it for the lulz. I've been getting into this uh, guy, this band. I don't know what... I haven't looked into how many people it takes to make the music, but it's a group called Cosmo Sheldrake. Cosmo Sheldrake. Yes, and I, like many people, discovered them because they were featured on an Apple commercial, but also Pentatonix uh, covered a song of theirs. Uh, My husband's a big fan of Pentatonix, and he was listening to the song, and I was like... Uh, I think I would like this song if it wasn't done by Pentatonics. I'm gonna search out the original <laughs> purveyor of this song, and so wouldn't you know it? John, uh, I like your instincts. That's true of every pentatonic. <laughs> cover. <laughs> God, Bam, I love Hallelujah with straight fire today. <laughs> God, I love Hallelujah. How did Pentatonics come up with this song? Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but um... John, did you know that they're just using their voices? <laughs> They don't use instruments? Witchcraft. Uh, I know. But uh, he's, he's very, like, his music sounds very independent. It's very twee, but it has a certain kind of quality. I don't know how to describe it other than, like, kids playing in the forest. Like, that's kind of the quality he's going after. It's a lot of his kind of, like, lyrics and the feeling and emotion he's going for is, like, kids playing pretend in the woods, like a fantasy or something like that. Like, it's kind of Tolkien-esque. It has this kind of certain, like, British countryside quality to it. Mostly Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of also what he incorporates in his music is, like, music through found objects. Like I was listening to one of his songs in uh, on YouTube, and in the comment section, I just wanted to learn more about. You know, I was clicking on the more info, and he was like, you know, one of the pinned comments was like, people are asking me what I used to make this song, and then he lists like four different instruments, and then. You know, uh, civil war tapping on beer bottles <laughs> mushrooms being crunched. Okay. <laughs> like right. yeah like he, so it's a little aleatoric okay yeah it's it's very interesting music so um obviously right. his big song is called come along as was featured in like an apple iphone commercial so but uh he's coming out with new music soon uh it's it's kind of hard to listen to him on spotify because like half his albums are made up of just like ambient noise like birds okay. <laughs> on bird tweets and things like that so sometimes you yeah, right. hit that skip button a little too much but yeah he makes good music so guys cosmos sheldrake good music all right yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm I'm glad you can wholeheartedly recommend music because I, God knows, I need to, to listen to some new songs uh, that are older than 2011. I mean, sense. yeah, I, th- I think there was a study that proved like pretty much like 34 is the plateau that you kind of stop. <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much stop discovering new music. So, okay, although you enough. know, some like. Sometimes there's very special people. Like, I remember once in an interview, like, Stephen Colbert dropped a neutral milk hotel reference, and I'm like, You're too old to be listening to them. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, I think that tracks with the age. Like, their album, their soul album, came out when he was about 34. Oh, okay. Got it. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It's the last new music he's listened to. I think, yeah. I'm going to do the math on that later. Okay. (laughs) That would be amazing if that was correct. All right. Well Greg, all right, let's let's hear the gauntlet. I want you yes. to go Do you want to go best? As as is my annual tradition, not only traveling to Central Asia, but also catching up on a lot of movies I didn't see from the year prior. Oh boy. Now are you going to go in a particular order? Just order that you watched them, best to worst, yes. worst to no, best? No, I'm going to go in order of ascending quality. So okay. the worst movie to the best. How all about right. that? Sounds good. Ironically enough, the worst movie I saw was a artistic French movie that actually won a pretty prestigious award, the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival. Oh, what a surprise! Greg loves a foreign <laughs> French movie. That's you know. Esoteric. No, no, John, this is ascending quality. So I, oh, I, I, oh, I oh, didn't oh. like this movie. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. I yeah. misheard. Oh, oh boy. Oh, yeah. what is this, Greg? Are you betraying your instincts? There was I, a French I, movie I that m- you didn't I enjoy? must. Or, or I blame uh, director Navid Lappin and his the baffling film "Synonyms." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it's called Synonyms, so yeah. I could have told you right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you could probably look at the, the, the poster, too. I, I knew I was on Shaky Crowd when I saw the poster, yet I, I soldiered on. It's about uh, uh, an Israeli expat. Mm-hmm. A young man uh, ventures out of, uh, escapes out of Israel and into Paris. No contacts, nothing like that. And he stumbles his way into a, a pretty bougie apartment complex just with a backpack and clothes on his back. Um, he goes for a shower and his backpack and clothes have been stolen. So he's naked for pretty much half the runtime. Mm. I, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing that. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't. I'm, I'm sure something that you would mind seeing is that he, uh, he gets taken in by a brother and sister whose names are Emil and Carolyn. Who, also, who basically live upstairs. Uh, he almost freezes to death in the night because he forgot to close the window, idiot. Um, <laughs> but it turns out Emil has the hots for him, and I'm not sure if this was uh, cut out of the Russian-owned <laughs> airline service that I was flying on, but they... Uh, they express their love via smoldering looks. Ah, yes. And so I'm wondering, like, are they going to kiss or not? Like, what what's going on? Instead, they just, like, intently stare at each other for the other half of the runtime. Okay. Uh, from there, basically, our young protagonist, uh, his name is... Uh, Yeov basically putters around for the rest of the rest of the movie. He gets a job at the like Israeli consulate as a security guard. He befriends another Israeli expat named Yaron, who is uh, j- just Mr. Regular, just too damn normal. Mm. <laughs> he takes a lot of pride in his, his Israeli identity and uh, has several scenes in which he either uh, tries to fight people or instigate fights by putting on his yarmulke. I believe I believe this is a time in which uh, all religious wear is uh, is strictly uh, forbidden in Paris. Okay. And just gets in people's faces in the metro. Again, just climbing Mount Normal, this guy. <laughs> um, um, and the synonyms comes because I believe young. Yova is trying to learn French and basically establish himself as a French citizen however forces keep coming back it would be uh, cool if the plot really demonstrated this in any way instead of him just kind of like aimlessly like wandering around the city uh, Emile making eyes at him uh, eventually he has sex with Carolyn and tries to marry her so that he can get French citizenship mm. but yeah it's just too damned it's just too damn arty too damn weird um, I'd say not not exactly the best illustration of this kind of story I kind of understand what director Nevid Lepin is going for yeah even I can tell what the theme is obviously he's playing with but again if it's yeah. not good in execution then yeah fuck no. right off <laughs> yes <laughs> So it, it at the very so probably the worst movie of the five that I saw. Okay. Um, however, at least I can understand the ambitions. Mm-hmm. This is different from the second worst movie I saw, which was Vice, which I vehemently hated. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. I don't. Have you seen Vice yet? No, I have not seen the Vice yet. But I know that Adam McKay is an avid listener, and it's this is going to break <laughs> his heart. <laughs> I I I'm not sure he is a listener, John, okay. because I don't want to sound like any of the myriad garbage socialist podcasts um, <laughs> now it's poisoning the internet but i will say this is lib shit <laughs> oh no i'm i'm attacking this movie from the left because this is this is the story of dick cheney john which i know will shock you he uh was somebody who used who did politics and took his power and tried to get more power i mean mm. pretty evil right yeah bad guy yeah <laughs> So, and that seems to be uh, Adam McKay's uh, – just the the most amount of umbrage that he takes with Dick Cheney is that he ascended to – he he was in the vicinity of the presidency and then tried to give more power to the presidency. Again, who can understand this motivation? <laughs> Nobody, really. <laughs> like a modern-day Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned that because there are, like, little flashes of, of interesting filmmaking – for one the the story kind of ends uh, following uh, his uh, re- resignation from the House of Representatives, and the credits come up at, a, at about an hour and saying, like he retired from public life." and then breaking the fourth wall, the credits come up oh, okay. <laughs> until yeah George, Bu- George Bush's exploratory committee comes to him with the, the opportunity of the vice presidency. Mm-hmm. And there is another scene where the narrator of the, the movie is uh, Jesse Plemons who uh, who's a, who's an American soldier, and it's clear, like, oh, something's leading up to him. Dick Cheney had a profound effect on his life. We'll we'll get to that later. Oh, I wonder what that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's like, and again, like you're describing this movie and it just seems like tonally all over the place. Like, Well, that's that's not the worst part. I want to okay. get to the, the the one interesting scene is that Jesse Plemons like posits like, oh, this is the uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth moment. Mm-hmm. And they have this, Amy Adams shares a scene with him in bed where they recite actual Shakespeare dialogue. Cut to reality where they're just silently sitting in bed reading. Oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, just demonstrating the kind of banality of evil that these two like... Uh, p- political strivers had Mm, okay so uh, yes i will admit there are some interesting touches however what what doesn't help is that adam mckay assumes you're an idiot and (laughs) assumes you have adhd and will cut away to something stupid every like four seconds Mm, yes i believe this was a problem with the big short too (laughs) yes this is a problem with the big short and it's even worse here Mm. Uh, it's even worse when he fails to demonstrate how exactly dick cheney affected millions and ruined millions of lives particularly in the, in the uh narrator played by Jesse Plemons he is a soldier in Iraq John but he doesn't get killed in combat uh, spoiler alert he turns out to be the one who dies in an accident and donates his heart to Dick Cheney so that he can live uh, another 10 years or so oh interesting hm. yeah Um, But wouldn't you know it, Jesse Plemons' life doesn't change materially in any way. Mm. That is until there's this long montage that just cuts together every ill of the current era, (laughs) whether it be fentanyl overdoses, uh, the financial crisis. It just basically puts it on Dick Cheney and complains that he basically uh, put all this power into the presidency. Maybe – probably forgetting that for eight years, the other side did have that power and did not use it. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Greg, that's too nuanced. Okay, this is a movie for dummies. I d- yes, it's a, it's a movie for dummies. Dick Cheney, until, bad. <laughs> yes, until the final fourth wall break, where Adam McKay says, "Okay, Christian Bale, you put on all this weight. You waited, in, you waited in the makeup chair for hours. Okay, here's your Oscar moment, mm. where Christian Bale gets to improvise a a monologue that basically justifies all that all that Dick Cheney did." Okay. And it's in Shadow, and I'm like, oh, great, you know, at least we can still, under- in spite of this, the fact that we hate Dick Cheney, at least we still get to understand him. Again, lib shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it just kind of sounds like a Michael Moore movie. It's just, like, pent-up anger, and again, it makes sense, because him and Michael Moore are cut from the same cloth. It's just yeah. pent-up anger without really any of the nuance. It's just like, look how fucking evil these people are! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's pent-up anger, but it doesn't know, like... It, at least Michael Moore knows what he wants to do. Like, support either unions or gun control or something. Mm-hmm. The, all, all Adam McKay can do is, like, uh, hey, pretty bad guy, right? <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Uh, um, you need naked ladies, dum-dum. <laughs> you need <laughs> You need me to cut away to something funny, like, every four seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, so, I don't like yeah, this dramatic turn It's a despicable movie. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the... Adam and they just dissolved their their uh, him and Will Ferrell's company. So I'm partnership. Yeah, Gary Sanchez. I worry about this. So so do I. So it's it's a better done movie than Synonyms. However, it's abhorrent and despicable, and I hated it. (laughs) Got it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, John, what saved me is a movie that I know you loved, and I wish I could express the same love that you have for it. No, no. Of course, Sean, I'm talking about the greatest movie of all time, all right? <laughs> Are you talking about Venom? Hey, we're talking Venom here! I'm talking about Venom up my ass! <laughs> yes, Venom got all up in my ass. Um, <laughs> Greg, now, why don't you describe Venom for us? Is he goop? Okay. I've heard he's goo. <laughs> I heard Yes, he is indeed goo. I don't want to steal another podcast bit, John. No, okay. I, all I want to say is, I've always wanted to see a movie where uh, Edgar from Men in Black is the star of the show. <laughs> and it turns out we got it. There you go. Yep. Uh, Tom Hardy gets to be delightfully weird <laughs> as as this uh, anti-hero Venom. Um, but the ethos, this is basically a movie made by teenage boys for teenage boys. And I kind of admire it from that standpoint. However, it's not it's not good. No, um, the special effects are somehow bad in 2018. <laughs> I don't know how we have bad special effects anymore. But uh, there you go. Maybe, maybe they. Just I mean, can't no, do it. I was just more fascinated with like audiences demand nowadays like plots that mean things, but yeah. yet it's still like it still manages to do nothing right plot wise. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and then he goes here, and then there's an evil plan, but then there's another bad guy, and he's also evil, and like it just like so incompetently told (laughs) but yet buoyed by a fun performance by tom hardy exactly like thank god for him because everybody else around him is like strictly is (laughs) was on sedatives or something like that (laughs) michelle williams tremendous actress terrible in this movie yeah riz ahmed i i don't know what went into casting him as this villain (laughs) why did they waste like jenny slate in this role yeah like that was you know bit part like oh let's get a comedic actress for this like it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah the only other inter- the only other character that made it, an impact on me was the cuck doctor who starts dating <laughs> Michelle Williams <laughs> who, tar- who Tom Hardy like instantly dominates the second he meets him <laughs> yeah so that's the only those are the only bits that interested me again like completely bland uh, superhero stuff um, he's got to fight the same version of himself mm-hmm. a lot of and then plotting you've seen this all before yeah, not very good. Yeah, but again, no. just watch some clips on YouTube and you'll see. Yeah. just the bonkers performance that yeah. Tom Hardy's giving. <laughs> yeah. he's like a guy from New York, but he's here in San Francisco. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> saved saved by two things: the Tom Hardy's performance and the Eminem song at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> brilliant. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure so, if it so came out in the 90s, it would have been huge. <laughs> yes, exactly. It does have a 90s ethos. If it was like a spin off of Men in Black, definitely A, but uh, not this time. No, sadly not. The world has moved on, <laughs> except for Eminem, who's, who's a legend and will never die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm new Eminem, guys. That's my new rapper persona. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm new Eminem X. Okay. Uh, okay, so far so bad. Yes. I'm I'm sorry to report. Now let's get into the the vaguely disappointing territory. Okay. I'm this is a shocker, Greg. You know, yeah, I know. normally, you know, airplanes are known for their quality cinema, but <laughs> I do generally really enjoy movies on airplanes. What? Like even how even <laughs> probably uh, how cuz you're I a captive know, audience. Like, that's why. That's the only exactly, excuse yeah. I can see. But even crap like this is the end I find compelling on an airplane somehow. <laughs> okay. But, and the same holds for the next movie I watch, and this will really interest you, At Eternity's Gate. Hmm. The, the Van Gogh biopic starring will, uh, Willem Dafoe. Well, I mean, I do love me some Willem. Yes. And do you love yourself some uh, Van Gogh as well? Uh <laughs> It's Mm, fine. Oh, oh, really? really. It's so basic. That's the thing. Everyone's like, excuse me. Even an idiot can appreciate Van Gogh, (laughs) so I get nothing out of it, obviously. (laughs) That's for the Philistines. Now give me some Monet. Mm. Mm. What about Gauguin? Because he he factors prominently into this plot as well. Nah, he's fine. He's fine? Okay. All right, not a fan of impressionists, which is which is a shame because this movie does have a very romantic perspective on Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not exactly an expose on his demons or alcoholism or any of the stuff that uh, caused his early death at 37. But I do somewhat appreciate what Julian Schnabel is going for uh, because between the the he he's got a very uh terrence malick-esque uh filmmaking style Mm -hmm. like kind of loose probably doesn't work with script all that often and the camera kind of rolls around the first big kind of painting set piece is uh van gogh you know famously potters around um uh the french countryside looking for light Hmm. (laughs) he comes he comes back from that there's a tumultuous storm outside and he throws off his boots which have holes in the heels and everything Uh. And that's, that's when the light just hits it just right. He sets up his easel and, and starts painting these boots, which I'm not sure is a, is a particularly famous painting of his, but that's kind of the first set piece and one of the few compelling scenes because it doesn't... Granted, it doesn't play by the uh, traditional biopic rules, but at least those p- particular biopic rules, like, lead to something. Like, there's <laughs> one scene that leads to this that leads to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as we know, uh, both him and Gauguin, like, tried to paint the same woman... And that's what forced him to cut his ear off. Like, literally, like literally, there's this like kind of pregnant scene where he stumbles in on Gauguin painting the the innkeeper that he sort of has affections for. He's friendly with this woman. Hmm. After Gauguin leaves for Paris, that's the very next scene is a is an interrogator asking him why he cut his ear off. Okay, yeah. So you can see like the kind of connective tissues missing, as well as that that drama that compels us to lead to somewhere. The, that said, there are some great moments, like uh, particularly when he's. The first time he gets committed to a hospital, and his brother Theo comes by, like that's a, that's a it's all done in one take, and that's a pretty effective scene. However, yeah, it's just there's just too much faff, mm. kind of. There's too much fat. It do, it doesn't lead to enough. Um, despite some brilliant sequences, it's just it it amounts to something that's pretty dull. Uh, but Greg, that's just the impressionist nature of the paintings <laughs> and of the style, the filmmaking. Greg, don't that's, you see what he true. was trying to go for? That's not true, John. He, as Gauguin comments, is he uses so much paint, it's almost like sculpture, John. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean that isn't. There a- are there yeah there are a lot of like long scenes in which uh, Willem Defoe's Van Gogh and Gauguin is played by. Uh, uh, Oscar Isaac, mm-hmm. they have a lot of long philosophical talks, and that's like I feel like the the movie with the, with these two actors playing these two historic figures should be more compelling than this. So I blame yeah. the director and writers for that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and it's also funny you mentioned that because I don't think Willem Dafoe, for all his talents, is not kind of suited for that kind of role. Like, the kind of yeah. heavily improv, like, we're not going to shoot with the script. Just do what your character would do. Yeah. Uh, like, from what I know of Willem Dafoe, he's very much about the preparation and the rehearsal and getting every single nuance of the line right. Yeah, I don't think he's a big yeah. kind of... So it's it's kind of funny that he got a lot of uh, consideration for this role, because it, uh, you know... But he's a, he's a pro. He's an old pro, so he's perfect. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, I know every reviewer complained that William Defoe's in his 60s, and Van Gogh obviously passed away at 37. Mm. So, but yeah, you, I, he was just you, so world weary. Much, yeah, I know. <laughs> you could pretty much ignore that, <laughs> Greg. Again, you sh- you should have been a great film critic, but you're missing that one crucial line. Your headline: "I'd rather watch paint dry than watch this movie." Oh Boom! no! <laughs> John, the spirit of Gene Shalit lives in you. <laughs> Thank you. It's the greatest honor anyone's ever bestowed yes. on me. My- <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of Gene Chalop, and just wholeheartedly recommending something, there was one quality movie that I actually watched. Okay, it's the Sisters Brothers. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes, this I've... is the English language debut of Jacques Odiard. Aud- Aud- <laughs> Aud- <laughs> Aud- Odiard, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Starring John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix as the titular Sisters Brothers. Of course, and it's his first English movie, so yeah. obviously he has to take on the Western. Yeah, Ugh, let's <laughs> deconstruct this old trope, shall we? <laughs> I I'm glad you brought that up because it's kind of slow going and it is somewhat of a of an acid western trying to show the realism and the tough toughness of the old west. Mm-hmm. Because that, this is really this is really a John C Riley joint. He's the one who bought the rights to the book and and really put his heart into producing it. Oh. And so yeah, he stars as Eli's sister, and he's kind of the put-upon schlubby brother, um, whereas, his, uh, br- whereas um, his brother Charlie is the more like accomplished gunslinger and bounty hunter. Hmm. Um, so they start off this journey, they're, they're tasked with getting John Morris, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, um, hmm. who has his own st- great storyline, where he basically tries to steal the new... Gold, gold finding chemical formula from a character played by Riz Ahmed. Hmm. So it's a it's a re, it's a reunion for uh, Nightcrawler as well. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. <laughs> and Riz, Riz Riz Ahmed demonstrates his uh, prowess as an actor again. So if you were worried after Venom, don't worry. He'll <laughs> he'll win your good graces back with the Sisters Brothers. Excellent, good. But we get these two storylines uh, with uh, John C Riley and Joaquin Phoenix basically playing these bounty hunters and running into all sorts of enemies and elements. And the other compelling storyline is Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed basically being business rivals and kind of reluctant collaborators in this new scheme to get gold in California. Mm -hmm. So uh, in spite of the slow going, all the plot twists and turns I did not see coming, and it is like a very compelling journey through the West, basically. Um, In spite of all those cliches, again, a lot of interesting twists and turns. And yeah, just a really compelling, like, light like it's it's somewhat lighthearted until you know the plot gradually goes to that dramatic direction uh you, you understand the development of their relationship both as as brothers and once they do like either find success or their targets or you know whatever whatever kind of plot machination comes their way so i, I just found it damn compelling so okay i mean i heard good reviews and when i remember when the trailer dropped i was like oh that could be interesting yeah well, that's the thing. I saw the trailer, and I wasn't compelled in the slightest. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I thought you stand. Uh, I thought we. You were a big uh, John C. Riley stand. I guess not. I guess you're not a true fan, Greg. <sighs> that's fine. Well, John, what what could live up to Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story? You're absolutely right. Very little. Exactly. Yeah. And let me tell you, Wreck It Ralph too. <laughs> <laughs> See he he as much as we adore him, he can do wrong, yeah, that is true, but no, I mean, I don't blame him for that for that dread, that drudge yeah <laughs> that mess, but whatever <laughs> the sisters' brothers basically does no wrong, it's an impeccable film, and you should seek it out okay. um, I know it didn't do well in the box office or whatever, but again, the market is not a good arbiter of quality, mm, so I don't listen know. to us instead, I don't know <laughs> once again, you so that's that's your consumer advice, that's what you get, okay. <sighs> Once again, I'm underwhelmed. I expect it better from you. <laughs> Six out of ten. For the, Me? Yeah. Oh, if you're going to grade all those movies, I have to grade your performance as well, Greg. It's only fair. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Some move your view where you are. <laughs> Don't like it when it's turned on you, good sir. <laughs> That's true. I'm just, uh, frankly, I'm just jealous that I never got to be a filmmaker. That's what it is. I I need to figure out a way I can post that stupid Adam cartoon where he's let people enjoy things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's great, yeah. Let people enjoy synonyms. (laughs) (laughs) It would be interesting, though, if you, like, catch it a few years later, like, not probably edited for, you know, by the Russian government. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Maybe it works. Who knows? I know. I'm just happy to be one of the 897 people to rate it on IMDb at this point. Okay, (laughs) excellent. Well, guys, if you want to rate us, you always can. Yeah. Because you can go to your podcast service of choice, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever, give us a five-star review, and you'll help others find this podcast and make us economically viable. I feel like we deserve it. Yeah. I mean, we just laid down a sweet hour of content. Yeah. And... You know, if you do have criticisms or feedback that you can't quite get in a rating system on your podcast service of choice, go ahead, reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Go ahead, write us a comment, give us a like. That's what we really like. Mm. Those likes, oh gosh. like oh, sweet, sweet social like currency. Sweet heroin <laughs> just injected straight into my veins. Oh. Yeah, I can't get enough. It's too, t- although if you're a grandpa and you still use yeah. email, you can always reach out to us with your comments, questions, or recommendations at AspiringSnobs at gmail.com. Now, we are here every week, as demonstrated by us <laughs> roping our father into Oh, he loved every second of it. He loved every second of it. And I loved every second of it, because I didn't have to deal with you for another week. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what a treat for John. <laughs> but we'll be back next week with another quality film, or supposed quality film, Ooh. that we will adjudicate. Yes cuz next week we're going to finally catch up with the uh, you know it's a it's a 2000s film technically but i was th- it's one of those quintessential 90s movies in my head <laughs> donnie darko maybe it is commenting on the 90s john you ever thought about that You're, that's true the dream of the 90s lives in donnie darko yeah, absolutely oh it's also appropriate cuz jake Joan hall's movie coming out we can revisit jake Joan hall's early career yeah we could talk about uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, and oh yeah, oh he's like Donnie Darko in that movie. He could see probably multiple <laughs> dimensions, and <laughs> he got them magic powers, right? Yep. He got them weird wiggly wangs coming out of his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I have to consult my my Marvel my Marvel explainer YouTube series so I can figure out what the heck's going on. <laughs> oh great, awesome. Please tell me more, I, Greg. I will, <laughs> or I'll send you the link. Wouldn't you love that? I'm gripped by every video essayist on YouTube. <laughs> it's their voices. They somehow, like, it might surprise you, but these nerds have the nasaliest voices. No. And I know and I know we shouldn't complain, but I know. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, <laughs> there's no way that's right. <laughs> I, I trust Google Translate, all right? <laughs> I got the horses in the bag Horse stock is attached is mad at black, got the bushes black to mad.